Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, I've invited author Diana Biller to talk about the craft of writing gothic romance. Her book, The Widow of Rose House, became an instant hit with gothic romance fans because she combined beloved tropes with new ideas. All of her work is smart, sexy, funny, and enchanting, and I learned a lot from our conversation. We do talk about writing sex, so if you are listening around children or co-workers, you may want to put your earbuds in. You can order her books using my bookshop.org link to support the show, as well as independent bookstores nationwide. That's at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. You can also help out the show by following She Wore Black on Twitter and Instagram and leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me today. Now, on to the show. Well, Diana Biller, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is very exciting. Every listener that I have will know how much I love your books. I talk about them (laughs) all the time. So this is quite a treat for me. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's a treat for me too. Well, when I put the idea to you of talking about writing Gothic romance, you were very excited. (laughs) You're like, yes. It's something I have spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, uh, Although, um, you know, I suspect that there are so many different ways of approaching uh, writing gothic romance. So I'm also always interested in what other people um, think, because a lot of times it's very different. Well, we seem to be having a little bit of a moment with gothic romance the hacienda hit big this year we also have had like paulette kennedy really kind of break through with parting the veil and some other stories that have really been very successful what is it about gothic romance that you are drawn to because if you're going to write a book you're spending time with it Mm -hmm. so obviously if you're going to spend time with the subgenre and you chose gothic romance what is it you know it's a good question um I think it has to be the books that I grew up reading. Um, you know, weirdly, I, and I don't think I'm alone in romance with this, but I, um, I, I must have read Jane Eyre two two dozen times when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, not for not for the romance because that's not a romance, but. Um, <laughs> and I love that you said that part too. <laughs> But, um, you know, I think I must have imprinted on that sort of creepy um, environment really early. And I think that Gothic is so well suited as um, as a lens for thinking about uh, emotions um, and character. For me, when I'm writing rom- or when I'm writing Gothic romance, um, the thing that it centers is anxieties. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, it's a very internal genre, um, as opposed to maybe horror, which, you know, is both internal and external. Um, but when you think about a gothic romance, it's so much about the fears that are inside the protagonist. Um, and that, I think, was very attractive. That internal conflict, to me, is actually the bigger appeal. I'm not quite as drawn to conflict between characters like enemies to lovers can be fun if it's you know Mm. I've written enemies to lovers it's not like I don't like it but the internal conflict for me when I've either written it or read it and I've liked it has been 
the, the interesting part to me. So like if there's, um, and I like external conflict, if it's, uh, you know, if they're getting along well, maybe, but the external conflict is someone trying to intervene mm-hmm. or maybe weather, weather's always fun, you know, <laughs> you're right. You know, things like that. So like, oh, storm sex. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, anyway, there's just so many different angles to, to what can cause a conflict in Gothic romance, as far as they're going to be the same as what can do it in romance. But I do feel like you're right as far as like with Gothic, because there's that creepy part, anxiety plays such a big role. Yeah. You know, I'm even thinking, um, of course, the house is a crucial part of Gothic romance, right? Uh, Whether it's a house or whether it's some other thing, but there's almost always a a building of some kind um, that's creepy. And I'm thinking about how even that creates this internal setting. Um, you know, things happen very like contained. You've got a pretty contained set most of the time, yeah. um, which I think reflects what's going on with the protagonist. I, so I'm going to center a lot of our discussion on the widow of Rose house. Mm-hmm. I loved very much the brightest star in Paris. And we will talk about that a little bit, okay. but I feel like that was uh, a, a very beautiful setting. You had ghosts in that one, uh, but they functioned differently mm-hmm. than they did in widow of road, ha- widow mm-hmm. of Rose house, which is a little bit more of a traditional Gothic romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, well, that will be the focus of, of our show today. I have had a lot of discussion <laughs> with other writers about this particular book. I love it so much. I first heard a bit about it um, on Smart Bitches Trashy Books because they kept talking about it. And so, and then the cover was amazing. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> um, and it's funny because for them and for me, even though this was I don't even think that, I mean, I know Christmas happens, but it feels like a Christmas story, maybe because it's snow or maybe that's because when it came out, it's not even particularly a Christmas story, but for whatever reason, that time of year is when I get excited about revisiting. Like my little holiday treat to myself. <laughs> so, what do you think the essential elements are for a Gothic romance? You know, I'm sure if you asked, 12 different authors you get 12 different answers so I'll just say for me what the essential what what my (laughs) essential elements are when I start writing one um it's going to be centered uh on a single character um so in Widow Sam is hugely important of course but it's all the story yeah um so it's going to be really centered on a single person and it's going to be internal um and probably about their past. Um, like it's going to be, uh, if you're writing, and if I guess if I'm writing a Gothic story, I'm always writing a ghost story. We're going to be doing metaphorical haunting as well as literal haunting. Yes. <laughs> um, the, the setting is crucial. Um, it, I don't think it has to be a mansion uh, in the middle of the countryside, um, but it is going to need to be someplace that contains uh, that contains the heroine or whoever your protagonist is, um, and can function a little bit as a trap. Um, 
uh, I think I played pretty loosely with that in Widow, but um, that's the foundation, I think. So I, I think if you have those two things, I think you're ready to go for me with Gothic. <laughs> so Elma Katsu wrote a Gothic story that takes place on the Titanic and its sister ship of the Titanic as well. So you're right. Like there's, there's not necessarily a need to have it be a mansion. She also did one on the open prairie with the hunger like that you can, but it was still contained because it was within the Donner party. You know? So and those are not romance, but you can set a ghost story in a contained environment, but kind of yeah. anywhere. But kind of, in fact, I'm thinking, um, those examples are really helpful. I think, because one of the key things I think is cutting your protagonist off in some yes. way so in the two examples you have we've got a prairie and an ocean yeah um, so we're cutting them off and you know I put mine in the middle of you know snow-clad New York um which I think it'd be kind of a fun experiment to see what happens if you tried to set a gothic um in the middle of a city or something like that and see where you where you need to find the um, isolation elements then yeah yeah maybe like a apartment building or something like yeah, that right like that'd yeah. be fun yeah um so one of the things that you do really well and I think writers either kind of have this natural gift with it or maybe they have to study it a little bit more so for those that maybe struggle with it I love your banter one of the things that you do successfully is that everybody that you write has a unique voice. It's clear what character is speaking by the things that they're saying or the way in which they're saying it, whether it's their physical carriage or their the words coming out of their mouth. Um, but they're all kind of enchanting or delightful, even when they're menacing characters, there's <laughs> something kind of intriguing about them. So clearly this is your voice as far as this is the way Diana Biller writes characters. But I want to know, like, do you have advice or secrets or something that you can tell us about writing that dialogue or writing banter in a way that engages the reader? I guess two things. Um, listen to how people actually talk uh, rather than replicating uh, what one reads, what mm. you're reading. Um, because I, I think there can be, and I, I fall prey to this sometimes, when you're really drawing your inspiration from books instead of from your surroundings, I think your dialogue can end up sounding a little canned. Yeah. Um, so I think really pay attention to how people actually talk. Um, and then the second would be, and this is, boy, this is not new advice. Um, think about every character's motivations. Um, that, every might seem, that might seem obvious, but I don't know if it is really. For okay, people. well then let's, we should talk about it. Yeah, every every single character. Um, you know, a good example here is the maid in Widow of Rose House, mm -hmm. um, whose name I think is Liza. <laughs> <laughs> you're three books in, you're okay if you don't remember her name. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, she is absolutely the protagonist of her own story. And I don't know exactly what's going on with her uh, in terms of all the stuff that she is getting up to, but um, Liza has intention when she talks. Um, Liza lives a full life in her village. Liza is the town busybody to a certain extent. Like she knows what's going on with people. Um, she, you know, is watching all the time, right? Like she is someone who is observing you. 
um, and, uh, and loves talking about other people. So when she's kind of in there monologuing, oh, she's a little bit of comedic, you know, sure, she's comedic relief. Um, but she's not just there to serve Alva. She's her own person right. who is probably going to then take what she hears at this mansion and go right back into the village and gossip about what she saw there, you know, yeah. uh, so that like, you know, because she likes being at the center um, of knowing all these things. Um, so I think it's really important, no matter how small your side character is, if they're big enough to have a name, um, they're big enough for you to think about them as a human being and not as someone who is just a side character in your protagonist's journey. You saying that actually made me think of two other writers, and I've said this before on the show, and actually other writers I've interviewed have said this on the show too, is that um, people that aren't writing romance or are not regular romance readers, their writing would be well served by reading romance because character is so important to that genre in a way that's almost hyper hyper important because mm -hmm. we know what motivations often are in romance so you have to find a unique and new thing to do right mm -hmm. and so I think and you'll probably agree with me like two good examples of what you are talking about of, of people that write character no matter how big or small you can tell that they all have motivation and that would be Lisa Kleypas uh, right and and Elizabeth Hoyt I think they're both so good yeah I think that those exactly. are two really fantastic examples um I'm also thinking about in the contemporary space Kate Claiborne oh my gosh that's true oh yeah. um I just got goosebumps about, you're right <laughs> right um the love it love it first uh, set in the co-op building um every character in that building was so alive and I'm sure she can talk about those people like she knows them personally which I think creates that kind of that warm feeling um yeah. that makes you want to reread a book that makes you you know how long ago did I read love at first uh when did it come out <laughs> two years ago three years ago um Gosh, I think she's already like on a third or fourth follow-up to third follow-up to that maybe not I, not a I sequel mean, but like uh since that book I think she's had a couple more out she's had, right um I think she's yeah so a while ago but like I still think about that book pretty regularly yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness um a friend of mine was marveling at reading the Maiden Lane series from Elizabeth Hoyt going she's got an entire universe it is it is you know, and it's so true and you know uh I, I just I I actually was talking to Josh Mallerman who's a very famous horror writer um who wrote Bird Box and he was so excited he was so intrigued by Bridgerton and wanted some suggestions so I gave him Elizabeth Hoyt you know because she's so yeah, she's got an entire universe with just, you're right, every character has an entirely different motivation, which and, is why yeah. subsequent novels in that series. Right. And why that series feels so alive. Like it doesn't yes. feel like, um, oh, we're just working through, you know, a list of characters that are going to have books. Like you yeah. really feel, I'm also thinking about how she uses history in her books um, and how history becomes very intertwined. Like history is never just a backdrop for her. 
um, history is something that's so intertwined with their characters' motivations. Um, I would say that about you as well, because Sam's entire family, like everyone wants to know everything about everyone in that entire family, (laughs) 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 because, and you, and you know, you've got three books and actually you also have that like novella because with the parents backstory, Mm -hmm. um, and they're all entirely different settings. Mm -hmm. But the, I mean, same time period, obviously, because they're all in the same family. But I love how you've taken what you've just said and made that your own with your own books. I think it's so important. I should say Hotel of Secrets is not a continuation of The Moors. It is a it's a standalone different book. So that's uh, in a separate. I haven't read it yet. I'm no, no, no. I know you just got it. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I did read Widow and I read Brightest Star and I've read the the spark that um, I'm, yeah, the, the, the novella Christmas story. Yeah. Yeah. The Christmas story. So yeah. I mean, maybe that's why I just went like, yeah, she's got all these stories. <laughs> right. And, you know, Maggie's book is is going to be coming, um, okay. but it's just not, not yet. Um, <laughs> so um no, but that's, uh, well, that's the, the beauty of writing historicals, right, is the um, the luxury of sinking into a new place and doing research and figuring out h- how that setting is going to affect um, your characters. Uh, because, of course, that's, you know, our, for me, setting is so, just you know, maybe the, the most crucial thing to a story because it informs everything. When you think about um, just yourself, right? Our our own settings inform so much of who we are as people. Um, and so that's just, I guess it's the next best thing to time traveling. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> no, that makes sense because you are completely immersed. Like yeah. the second book you have, you know, while I don't usually put it with Gothic because there are different motivations and different things, and you even have ghosts in there, but it, it's, it's, Paris and Belle Epoque and you know 19th century Paris and ballet and and that's an entirely different part of my id that I'm in love with you know that whole <laughs> setting um you know but it is wonderful to be immersed in that after being immersed in Gilded Age New York with you I mean it's just it's wonderful to see also I mean some of those same characters in that second book and mm-hmm. and what's different and and I was like, wow, she's really done something magical here. <laughs> Thank you um, so much. I love that. The, be, the being able to be transported in that way, even mm-hmm. if it's with some similar characters or some of this. Yeah, other- no, it's really marvelous. Like, and it's so interesting to think about these settings that were existing at the same time. Um, it was wonderful to take Benedict from New York and then put him in Paris and see what, you know, see what new parts of his personality that brought out. What a good time that must have been for you to write. Oh, <laughs> what fun. It was, um, Paris was a beast. Paris wanted to take over that entire book. <laughs> there is a version of that book that is just um, a 400 page history of the Paris Commune. And, um... Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh my gosh. But you know, you still have cemeteries in there and ghosts. Some of the ghosts are funny, you know, so you can do different things. with, with <laughs> Ghosts are versatile. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So kind of going back to character, I want to talk about Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only because he's my very favorite hero, um, <laughs> aside from one Elizabeth Hoyt hero, he's my fave. And, is it winter? Uh, huh? Is it winter? Uh, what is it? Of course it's winter. Of course it's winter. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, and in my Josh Mallerman email, I was like, I love me some winter make peace. <laughs> I was like, I bet, I bet I know. <laughs> I, love it. I love that, you know, that makes me so happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's winter. And so of course I love Sam. Um, but Sam is different. And what I love that you did with him <clears throat> in this traditionally Gothic novel, you know, we're used to, and, and I love a brooding hero. Don't get me wrong, especially cause I'm a cancer. So I'm a brooder. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I love a brooding hero. I get them. It's fun. Um, but you took Sam and made him like this cinnamon roll, which cinnamon rolls are my favorite. And I was so excited by the idea of reading what is an authentically gothic novel like gothic romance but you subverted expectations by not only making a delightful hero instead of a brooder but you know a lot of times with gothic romance you have a woman coming into a setting where if it's not the hero it's his family that's like creepy and weird and they're just delightful everyone talks about how the entire Moore family is wonderful and so fun and like what a how did how did you think to do that and b like was it intentional to subvert that expectation um so i often think about widow as actually being two different books um mm. Alva is really the only one living in the Gothic novel. Mm -hmm. um, Sam is not. <laughs> so, like that's not Sam's. That's not Sam's experience of life. Yeah. Um, and so for me, um, part of the the book was Alva leaving the Gothic novel. Um, I love that. That is the best framing. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and well, it's such a good example of what I was talking about earlier, where the Gothic novel is so well suited to being a lens. Um, it's so well suited to playing with genre. Um, and, um, you know, I think anyone who's struggled with mental illness or anxiety um, can perhaps relate to that. Um, you know, uh, there have been times when I felt like I'm living in a Gothic novel. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, so for me, and, and Alva did, right? She did all that. She did all that already. Um, she had the horrible husband and the horrible husband's family. Um, and he still got his claws into her, even though he's six feet under mm -hmm. in Père Lachaise Cemetery. Um, and so this is really, it's almost the aftermath of a Gothic novel that we didn't read. Um, and I just wanted the message of this to be hope, which I which I don't think is often the message of a gothic novel. I love that because I have talked extensively on my show about how I'm at a place at 49 years old. I want the hope at the end of the story. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we've spent so much. We've spent enough time like in my, or at this point of my life, I've spent enough time with your Dostoevsky kind of stories. <laughs> I want the hope at the end story maybe I mean maybe that's another reason why I keep kind of like Diana Biller's an auto buy for me you know or one of the reasons why I enjoy romance so much you know it's like because they can be very dark that's what people don't realize is that romance explores so many different things including <laughs> some things that are deeply dark anyone who's ever read a Nora Roberts novel like that lady goes 
<laughs> He's totally oh, unafraid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally unafraid to explore those things. And so, yeah, I love the way you framed your book, The Widow of Rose House, with like she's coming out of that gothic novel because her parents were also like yeah. foul, foul, really, really terrible. Perhaps not as terrible, not as terrible as the previous family because they weren't literally murderers, or not sorry, as her husband's family because they're not literally murderers. But um, right. you know, they also don't care that her husband's family were as terrible. So um, yeah, I feel like the the Moors are kind of, it's not just Sam, right? It's the Moors in general are there being this loving family showing that there is this other way mm -hmm. um, to live. I think that's always going to be in any book that I write, um, which isn't to say that I don't, you know, love people who really don't go that route. Um, but I think hope, even if the book I'm working on right now is very dark, um, but there's never a question for me about whether we're going to have a hopeful ending. Yeah, yeah. Because um, that's just, I'm not going to spend a year of my life working on a project that's not going to end in hope. You know, I was just interviewing Simone St. James a few weeks ago. Ah, I love her books. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's that same note that you're talking about. And she said the exact same thing. She's like, if I have to spend this mm -hmm. much time in this kind of story, because I asked about the fact that she's always got in some books more than others, an element, just an element of romance, you know, mm -hmm. Maddie Claire is very mm -hmm. much a Gothic romance. Like the romance is as important as the Gothic elements, mm -hmm. um, but maybe some of her newer ones like Sundown Motel, like it's there, but it's not as prominently placed, mm -hmm. but she's like, if I don't have that part, I can't spend all of that time as a writer with the scene or the scenario or the story without having that in there like to kind of help her along with that I also don't think it's realistic mm -hmm. um you know I think humans uh work in a cycle of darkness and hope mm -hmm. um and so if we're always ending stories in the darkness that's not actually a realistic that's not a picture of humanity um you know people I think often ask me about the humor um in Widow but for me that's also part of it like terrible things can happen and humans are still laughing that's right in fact I like I don't write this but um humans make really dark jokes about yeah. horrible things happening which is actually a great coping mechanism <laughs> um, I, I grew up like going to Catholic school that was run by people who fled the troubles of Belfast like nuns and teachers who fled the troubles of in Ireland and I mean the darkest humor and they were just talking to us all the time about how like in Ireland that's just kind of a survival mechanism mm -hmm. yeah know? yeah but I'm sure that happens all over that makes absolutely right sense. no that, I think that's just a, a good human coping mechanism and it's it's just not like no one can live in darkness 100% of the time yeah. yeah well um you know, I'm, I'm going to say I'm very privileged. I mean, you know, of course, as a woman of color, I've certainly seen my share, but, you know, I also know I have a certain level of privilege. So I, I'm going to say that with the caveat of, I know that there's, everybody has a different experience and navigates this world a different way. But if I'm going to read a book and spend time with a book, I want that hope. Yeah, you know? of course. So, yeah. Um, so Let's get to some fun. I mean, not that this isn't fun, but let's talk about sex. <laughs> let's talk 
about sex, another great coping mechanism. That's right. Exactly. Um, but you do this wonderful job of not only building the tension, the sexual tension between them, but you blessed us with three chapters of sex, okay. <laughs> not to mention any uh, like prequel flirting um, mm-hmm. and smooching going on. So I think people are afraid to write that, especially with historicals. What would you say to anybody who's like nervous about writing that or has questions about doing it well, or what would be the mm-hmm. advice you have on that? Because you do it very well. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that because sex scenes are hard. Yes, uh, they are. They're probably the hardest thing that I write. I've spent a lot, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Um, yeah. The advice that I got very early on um, that is really crucial is don't write a sex scene if it's not going to advance the emotional arc of the character, um, right. which is right. That's correct. Um, unless you're writing fantastic porn, in which case, like, please continue. Right, um, right. And I won't tell you your job. <laughs> um, but in, in the kind of romance that I write, um, sex is there to serve uh, the emotional arc of the character, um, which is actually really helpful because sometimes there are moments where you're like, how long, how intensive is the sex scene? How long is the sex scene? How much do we want to be in here? You know, like, yeah. um, so for example, in Widow, there are two sex scenes. Uh, one is very involved yeah and the other is actually pretty quick um like my like one is I'm you know giving very close detail and the other is like a medium detail level um and I think the the deciding factor there is like well what is my character getting like what's the point what's the point of this which is not to say that like the pleasure is not really important it's just that sometimes the pleasure is the point um like sometimes that is the thing that is serving the emotional arc yeah um the other thing and I don't hear people talk about this quite as much although I'd be interested to hear if you have um is it sex scenes or action scenes I've never talked about it as a way of being an action scene but that makes perfect sense right we're talking about physical choreography um and it it's hard Mm-hmm. I think people think of sex scenes as something that should be maybe, oh, I don't know, quite sexy to write or something. Mm-hmm. Um, when in fact, sex scenes for me are, you know, they're, they, I'm sure they take four times as long as any other scene. Um, it's the one I'm, thing you really don't want to get wrong. You don't want to get wrong. Um, actually, I have a really embarrassing story. Um, I um in, in Widow of Rose House in the... I think in the first sex scene, I have Sam roll on a condom, a French letter, like a, you know, a historical condom. And um, my, one of my family's elderly relatives um, read the book and sent me feedback uh, through a family member that I had (laughs) gotten this historical detail wrong (gasps) because in fact, he would have pulled on the condom they were not rolled at the time oh my god and you know what he was right and it haunts me <laughs> wow knew, what was worse about this is that i knew it i knew it i knew it i like i i, I know <laughs> like i like i write historical sex scenes i know what french letters looked like and how they came and um of course they weren't rolled <laughs> <laughs> but, but see, other people listening may not 
think about that. I mean, I'm really, you know, telling on myself here, but um, that is just one of those things where I did not, you know, like we, we roll on condoms, right? Like that's just, I, I did not cast myself fully back enough. That was really a phrase that came out without me even thinking about it. You know, what's weird is that no one else caught it. No, I, I mean, I would love to, I would love to know if anyone else did. I would love to know, if, is it just this one guy in Ashland, Oregon who read this and was like, that's not correct. It's not like he was alive when they were, were not rolled. Like he was old, but not that old. You know? so funny. But like, surely, you know, and I'm not trying to blame like the publisher or anything, but it's just funny that like people who publish historical romance read historical sex scenes all the time and no one stopped and went or beta readers or something you know and how many times how many times did I read that scene how many like how you know so many times like you you reread your work so many times over the course of publishing a book it just it's just it was such a natural phrase that it never pinged any flags um so yeah things can go terribly wrong and then you can get a really awkward message from a relative fantastic oh my gosh um but no I really would love if we thought more about sex scenes as action scenes I think sometimes we're a little loath to talk about them without the kind of hee hee sexy um feeling to them but sex is also part of a human experience yeah like if we're not including sex in a romance that involves sex yeah then we're cutting out a big portion of the journey. Right, right. Well, you said um, a couple of things that are are key to people, to men especially, understanding that. I was on, I was a guest on a different podcast, Talking Scared, discussing the, the, the theme of gothic romance. And I said, you know, what's interesting is that <clears throat> men tend to dance around romance as a genre. I said, but you know, when you, you know, he's got this gorgeous wife. And I was like, when you were like trying to muster up the courage to ask her out the first time or muster up the courage to give her a kiss the first time, like those were big stakes for you. And, and I don't think until you say that men are aware that they go through it too. You know, um, there's a new book and I'm going to interview the author very soon called such sharp teeth. And it's a werewolf novel but to anybody who also reads romance we're like oh it's a paranormal romance because the romance is important to the story right and I've she's been on a couple of different shows and I hear a lot of men talking about it like they'll talk to me about it personally or I'll see the chat on Twitter or something and they don't know what to do with that and I'm like but those stakes matter to that character too because that's just characterization yeah you know And the guy character in the story, like that matters to him too. <laughs> like it matters to everybody. Right. It's not just, it's not fluff, you know, that part isn't. No. And it really, um, really irks me. I think one thing that actually tends to bother me and I, um, I love how much you're not doing this is that we do it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about sex, like it's fluffy. Or yeah. like it's just there to to delete the reader. Um, I've said numerous times, I was like, it moves the story forward, though, because yeah. that's one of the things you did so well between the two characters and Widow is like, I loved that you gave us multiple chapters because, I mean, you know, it's not just sexy. You see Sam 
doing and saying things there that make her like it's her trying to get past all of her former trauma and and opening herself up in more ways than one to someone else you know and we see that unfolding and that's not going to happen in a snap no what am I what am I going to do if we're if the sex scene isn't there what do I do and then they have sex and he proved to her that uh she she can trust him with her most vulnerable side and that he will respect her boundaries like (laughs) could get pretty silly (laughs) yeah so I was I was like it's it's done so well and you know I it's it's like I said it's very sexy but there is a lot of character work going on there and you were talking the other thing I wanted to touch on is that you mentioned that pleasure is character work because it can be depending on the partner or the situation it's it's extremely vulnerable yeah you know um as as but it's also really exciting or it can also be, you know, frightening. It could be a lot of different things yeah, like, depending on what's happening with the characters. Right. No, um, actually like, this is something I love so much that romance does, um, is pleasure really like how reparative is it? And we, I think we see this a lot, um, in romances and romances with women who've been through bad relationships before, um, you know, where their pleasure just wasn't, mm-hmm important um actually don't like this isn't as much a thing in my romances but um I can think of um I think that's a pretty common like like there are a lot of really great books that do this um where you know the the woman's pleasure was not important ever before and then she meets someone who actually does value her pleasure Mm -hmm. and how reparative and healing is that there yes completely true that's actually very important too I'll an episode that I just had out is with um, Brianna Unamagunkin on Good Authority. Okay. And this is definitely a gothic romance as well, um, but it's it's kink positive without actually having any sex on the page because for her, it's about all the other things that motivate a, an evolution to kink. Yeah. You know, oh, and it's really fascinating character study. Yeah. Um, and, and she said, you know, she's like, I don't have trouble writing sex. She's like, I write fanfic with like, you know, uh, Frankenfurter and Jack Sparrow. She's like, I've got pages of sex. She's like, that's not the point of this novel though. Yeah. And she's like, it's about exploring and demystifying and really connecting with someone else who understands like we're evolving through this, like through this motivation. It's really fascinating. And I do hope that people pick up on good authority and, and give it the respect and and time it deserves because, you know, I, I think people are just kind of funny when it comes to that. Like, I think romance readers know the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but people outside the genre, like I said, when in discussions with like such sharp teeth, like she's a typically a horror writer. And so people that don't typically read romance yeah. are like, what do we do with this part? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and what does yeah. it, what does this mean? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just really interesting. I think they think it's okay with Gothic. I think when women, I think when women write horror, they expect it to be gothic mm-hmm. or if they're going to write a romance and they expect it to be in the context of a gothic. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really kind of know what to do with it outside of those parameters. That's so I can talk to her about that. Yeah, that's really interesting. 
one of the other things that I thought that you did kind of going back to your ghosts, because ghosts are important to Gothic. And I think they speak to the anxieties that you were talking about. So we can come full circle here um, because I think setting is really important, but I think the manifestations of those anxieties that often manifest as either suspense or ghosts or being haunted by something in some way are important and you <clears throat> very differently in widow than you did in brightest star in paris and i didn't mm-hmm. know if you wanted to speak to that a little bit yeah um it was a challenge um i didn't even know if brightest star would be a ghost story hmm. um you know I, I knew it would probably be paranormal because it's in a series and you want to kind of keep to a yeah keep to a rough reader expectation right but um i think originally i was thinking of that as a as a psychic story mm. um because I felt like I had told the ghost story that I wanted to tell. Um, and that just turned out not to be true. It turned out that I had two ghost stories in me. <laughs> I wanted to tell this other one. <laughs> I suppose the underlying theme of both the ghost stories is something like repression. Mm-hmm. Um, letting you know your innermost, well, it is, it's your innermost fears. It's just that Amelie's innermost fear is that she's going to turn into a monster. Um, so it's a very different fear than my dead husband is going to come back and draw me back into this gothic novel. You know, I think also, well, Amelie's repression is is grief. Um, so the, the ghosts are just much more about grief and anger, um, which I loved. Yeah. Um, like I, I loved writing that. Um, I think of Brightest Star as a really angry book. Um, I love that all of those ghosts, in particular, that are feeling all of those things, were female ghosts. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't actually. This is so funny, but I don't think it ever occurred to me that they would not be. <laughs> it's just been like the revolutionary ghost that you have in there. Yeah, Rachel, female too. Yeah, well, you know, that's um, very historically accurate. Yes. Um, the communards were significantly female. And as often happens in revolutions, they were essential to the revolution itself and then not particularly included in the, um, you know, the leftist government that formed afterwards. That's a pretty common, pretty common theme. Um it's so interesting. I mean, because I have an art history degree that when I and I focused a lot on the 19th century into the early 20th, 20th century. And, you know, so we did a lot with the French Revolution because yeah. that kind of when you study that time period, you start like in the 1770s. Sure, yeah. Because that's when romanticism, like you have mm-hmm. neoclassicism and romanticism kind of kicking in. And I loved that you did that because my emphasis was female women artists in history and so when we study that period I I felt like when I was reading your book a lot of what I studied in art history like I I felt like I was seeing it you know I'm so happy to hear you say that because actually that um I would say an art history class is what uh like is what provided the like forever ago in college oh wow I remember feeling so angry about um the impressionists uh I remember feeling so angry about some of the impressionists the male impressionists who died of syphilis and uh, quite a number of them did 
Um, and I thought about all the women who must have died too, um, that just never made it on the page. Yeah. Um, and that made me so angry. And I think it's that anger that then um eventually became Brightest Star. Um, like what what about the what about the women um who were also there and you know I'm so happy I, I would love to talk to you a lot about your focus <laughs> and uh of women artists because anytime uh, oh my gosh you know I still I still I have would love to really hear what you know um because um you know Amelie's mother was a painter yeah. um and she was obviously an early impressionist um but when you think about the impressionist there are you know t- maybe two two women maybe who ever get mentioned and those two are not going to show up you know if you go to I live in LA we've got a ton of amazing art museums here which I go to um I think oh there might be three or four paintings by women impressionists in the entire city of Los Angeles and there must be wow hundreds thousands of hundreds at least hundreds of very high level impressionist paintings here yeah um well let's put a pin in this but I'd love to talk to you about the Getty Museum and Artemisia Gentileschi sure (laughs) oh I love oh my gosh I love talking about her but you know you you were if you're going to like focus on France I mean Camille Claudel who was a sculptor um you know had Rodin's name on most of her work you know and so like you'll look at stuff that's still labeled with his attribution but it's not his work and they're like oh but you it's hers. well okay like do they know <laughs> yeah. like are they bothering to change the labels but that happens that was actually just par for the course like that yeah, was so weird. standard mm-hmm. um oh it's so I don't know it's so um it's so aggrieving to think about like all the talent that just went unsung and that we're still doing. I think that's what's upsetting. You know, history is history, whatever, we can't change it. Um, but you know, I when I was in Paris last summer, I went to the Louvre and I think um, I think at the time there were something like 20 paintings by women artists total on display in the entire Louvre. Yeah. And that's still a thing. And that's when, I mean, when kind of going back to what I was saying, even about Rachel's book, like they don't know what to do in some of these conversations I've seen, or I've had with men about her book. I'm like, you, you there's other women writing in horror too. Like yeah. this isn't weird. You know? right. yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so I know, we, I know that you are correct and that we cannot change it. But one of the things that I loved about it is that it, it can motivate us yeah. in a new way. And it motivated yeah. you to write this whole book. Right. Like, and I think um, you know, uh I think anger is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we should feel angry yeah. for those women. Like we yeah. should feel angry for them. Um and uh, you know, I guess Amelie's fear is that she's gonna turn into some kind of vengeful spirit. Um, and she has reason to, yeah. like. You know, I think we all have reason to, um, but I, uh, obviously I don't want us turning into ghosts, but I don't want us losing that anger either. Um, yeah. There's another, oh gosh, this is amazing. We just need to sit and like have hours and hours. Mm-hmm. 
There's another book um, with some ladies that I just interviewed and it's a nonfiction book about women ghosts stories. Um, And it's so it's about like kind of a lot, a lot of it is very kind of New York based because that's where they live and they lead ghost tours. And so they talk about like, not just the history of, of the women in these stories and the authentic, like, well, here's the real story of Mrs. Winchester from the Winchester whatever but they they take a sociological look at it and and talk about well why are we so intrigued or what Mm. what is the place of women not just as ghosts but as like um they were talking about how it was actually empowering even if it in a fraudulent if even if they were fraudulent spiritualists like Mm -hmm. how that was still like a um a feminist role because they were using it to make political uh, movements happen. Yeah. It's just fascinating. So it's yeah, like it's so I, interesting. So Diana, I know we've talked about um some fabulous ladies like Elizabeth Hoyt and um you know we've talked about everybody from Elma Katsu to Lisa Klepus. But um I didn't know if there was anybody else that you wanted to suggest because I do know that it's important as writers to be good readers. Is there anybody else that you would suggest? to our audience about you know so one of my favorite um gothic romances gothic rom-coms um is a little older but it's maybe this time by jenny cruzy oh um recommended a lot on faded mates have you have you read her no i haven't uh she's a hoot um and uh when i published widow there there weren't too there weren't too many high profile, um, funny Gothic romances. Um, and maybe this time was one of them. Um, and I just think it's, uh, I think it's like a retelling of the turning of the screw. Really? It's hysterical. I'm writing <laughs> um, because everyone always recommends Bet Me, which is a contemporary, I think. Yeah. And Bet Me is, um, very fun, but no, I, for me, yeah, I, I don't hear people talk about maybe this time very much, but for, for me, it's really one of Widow's kind of forerunners, you know, like I, I, cons- I consider them, this might be egotistical of me, but I think of them in a little line. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's fantastic because I've actually never heard of this particular book and now I'm totally going to seek it out if it was something that was a big inspiration to Widow because I love yeah, Widow I mean, so just, much. It's, it's also, it's a contemporary, but it's a contemporary with ghosts. Uh, it's very funny. Oh. Um, she too does such a wonderful job of like, oh, you know, everyone has a family. The family is always nuts. Uh, <laughs> fantastic <laughs> you know it's really great um oh you know even speaking of that uh kind of warm atmosphere robin mckinley also is a big um influence for me i think oh uh, good to know so i don't know if you've read sunshine by robin I not. Uh, it's a vampire book um and it's a vampire book with a baker Oh my God. This woman has mad, she has magical words. She's one of those people where she could write, like, I think 90% of this book is descriptions of baked goods. And it's a big book. Wow. Um, And I'm not normally someone who would just sit through 90% of the book (laughs) in descriptions of baked goods. I might. Listen, like you're in it. Like when you're in it, you're like, yeah, it's really emotionally important that that cinnamon roll 
is that good? Like she, I don't know. It's like she does the thing that I'm talking about with sex scenes. She does it with baked mm. goods. Like yeah, I don't know why these baked goods are so important, but they are really important. Oh <laughs> I love it. I'm here for that. What is it? What is it? it's Robin McKinley? Robin McKinley and it's Sunshine. Okay, is the is the is the title? Um, I have all of this in my show notes because that's fantastic. And then um, the book that I would love to uh you know do a little advanced blowing of the horn for is um it's not a gothic but it is ladies doing murder um which i think is uh an associated genre um and it's the band sorry bandit queens no the just bandit queens by perini shroff and it is about a woman in um an indian village a small indian village who Everyone thinks she killed her husband, but she didn't, which is only a problem when the other women in the village want her to help them kill their husbands. Oh my, <laughs> that's a twist. <laughs> she's like, so she's suddenly an expert in husband murder, but she didn't actually kill her. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> it's really funny. It's really funny and it's really um it's a really lovely look at female friendship um and at um it's also an angry book it's it's angry um I can't believe I didn't even think about female friendship and how important that can be to gothic too Um, I mean I don't have your one person that you connect with yeah I I don't even that might be a I wonder if that's a pretty recent addition I mean, I know you said that wasn't gothic, but I was like, I didn't even think to talk about that in the context of gothic romance and that, like, there's always that one person that you have. I mean, you're isolated. You're so socially isolated. But there's usually like someone at the other end of a letter. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, that's true. Which, (laughs) yeah. Hmm. So just throwing that out there, guys. Yeah. Just think about that. Oh my god. Um, so yeah, I'd love to recommend that. Oh, wait, there's one more book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh it's not, not related to any of these themes at all, but everyone needs to read it. It's Mistakes Were Made by Meryl Wilsdar. Have you read this yet? No. It I love that I'm getting out. all of these suggestions. It is um I've been called it's everyone I people call it the MILF book because it's a lesbian romance in which um a college girl it's her friend's mom and it is I'm not lesbian I'm sorry I think it's sapphic um it is hysterical like it is we're made and it is the kind of raunchy comedy that we don't really see that much of in romance and I am ready for yeah I'm here for it more raunchy comedy um and we need more books where sex is like I mean sex is really front and center here and important um and you know it's surprisingly sweet at the same time um but Wilsner just does like I don't know um there's an incredible like talking about banter like I was laughing you know every other page out loud and that's really actually hard to do because a lot of yeah. things get labeled rom-com and you never even crack a smile. You know, it's cute, right. but it's not A funny. lot of rom-coms are really more sweet. Yeah. Uh, and um, 
or what's labeled rom-coms are really more sweet. Um, but no, this is salt, salty, salty. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So I really urge everyone to check that out. <laughs> I hear this about, I don't, I don't hear the raunchy part, but I hear the a laugh out loud funny part in reference to which again is hard to do in reference to Deanna Rayborn's mm. killers of a certain age well uh, she is hysterical anyway right I, oh, right. I, have, I have not read well. killers of a certain age yet um my agent and I were actually like just talking about it <laughs> I haven't read it either, but I've read her Veronica Speedwell novels and I do laugh at those and they're so smart and witty and fun. And Deanna's like, I don't know, kind of an icon. Like, yeah, you know, she, um, she was really the blurb for Widow that put it on the map at all. Um, on in the same note, I always put her and Sherry Thomas together. Oh my God, Sherry Thomas, (laughs) one of my all time, maybe possibly my favorite romance, not plus possibly my favorite. She's phenomenal. And she lives locally. So I, you know, we get to see her at my bookstore all the time. Seriously? Yes. I'm very lucky. How much I love her. (laughs) I will tell her she's a poll worker. So if you go vote in Austin right now, because early voting is happening, you might see Sherry Thomas as your poll worker. I just, I think she is like a literal genius. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who is like blessed with writing talent from the gods. I know. My Beautiful Enemy is maybe, maybe, again, maybe with some Judith Ivory books would also be in there, but maybe my favorite romance novel of all time. Like I just, when people want like, you know, oh, I want to get into romance. What should I read? I'm like, read My Beautiful Enemy. Um, oh, she will be so pleased. <laughs> she will be so pleased. <laughs> I'm just, I'm a little awkwardly obsessed. Like if I met her in person, I would make a fool of myself. <laughs> oh, I think we've, I think we've all done that. Right? <laughs> like, let me just get out my notebook of things that I have loved about your podcast. <laughs> Are you ready for what? notes? I have notes. <laughs> Yeah. See guys, this is what we mean. Like, even if you don't typically read romance, there are some amazing crafts per- people out there that y'all should be paying attention to. And these are some of those names. So absolutely go check these out. I love to share. I'm going to tell her she'll be tickled. So. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. What a delight you are. What a delight you are. Well, I cannot wait to have so you back. Fun. You also are a delight. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get to party again when we get to talk about Hotel of Secrets. Very so exciting. I'm so excited to have you back for that. And, you know, I will keep you posted if anybody lets me know if they try their hand at Gothic Romance after, after listening to us chat Wonderful. about it. Wonderful. Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter if you follow the links on our website at sheworeblackpodcast.com. We have some great episodes coming your way, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by shopping at our online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash sheworeblack. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books you find in a search from our front page, will support the cost that goes into show production as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks again for joining us today and happy reading. Mm -hmm.